Thank you, Creek and Bradley. Uh, I got tickled because when they got up here, Bradley looked at Creek and said, are you ready? And, and Creek said, I guess. And I thought, if they're not ready, then we may all be in trouble because <laughs> we knew how good that was going to be, and I may be in trouble is what I'm trying to say to you. So we appreciate you all very much. If you have your Bibles with you, turn to Luke chapter 18. Uh, we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 8 today. Oh, thank you. Luke chapter 18. Verses 1 through 8. Let's hear God's word together. It says, And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. There was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps coming and not... Wait, I missed something. Because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God stands forever. Let's pray together. Father, as we come now to this portion of your holy and inerrant word, um, Lord, we pray that, that you would teach us much, that, that you would uh, reveal to us the depths of our hearts, uh, Lord, that you would encourage us, that, that you would convict us, uh, but most of all, that you would point us to our Savior. Uh, Lord, I, I can't teach this in a way that would penetrate to those places, but, but Lord, you can. And so we, we cry out to you. Uh, we are in need. We pray that you would be pleased to meet with us in this time. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Pray without ceasing. Well, if you're like me, you probably hear those words from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and you cringe a little bit when you consider what they mean for our Christian lives. You know, no, no matter how you interpret what Paul is saying there, and there's a lot of different interpretations, you know, whether it's uh, that, that we're supposed to be in a constant state of prayer, whether it's just a, a constant disposition of prayer, or uh, whether we're supposed to just have this constant readiness or maybe a constant felt need for prayer. Whatever, however you interpret that, the reality is, is that we can't read it without coming to the conclusion that as Christians, as God's people, we are to be people of prayer. And I say that that makes us cringe because the reality is in my own heart, and I imagine this is true for many of you as well, uh, rather than, than being a person of prayer, what I find is often that I am a person who does not pray nearly as much as I should and nearly as consistently as I should. We may understand the biblical command to do it, and we may even feel the need for it in our lives, but actually committing to prayer, it seems like it is something that we constantly struggle to do. Now, there's a lot of reasons for that, and we could list them all, but I, and I think the majority of them uh, just stem from our own sinful hearts, right? That, that's the, the center of it all. Um, but I think underlying all of that is often this feeling of discouragement. You know, we pray for something, uh, we pray for someone that we love dearly, and God so often doesn't answer the way that we want it or in our time frame. And the truth is, is we begin to wonder. 
You know, does this prayer thing, does it, does it really work? Is there a point to praying at all? At the very least, I think we all recognize that if God is sovereign, and that's what we claim that he is, that's what the Bible claims that he is, but that's what we believe he is, sovereign over all things, then he knows our needs, uh, he knows them better than we do, and so we assume he probably doesn't need us to continually pester him with the same request over and over and over again, and so eventually we just stop, right? I've, I've told you this many times about my disastrous attempt at, at copy machine sales. I've addressed that from the pulpit several times, but the reality is, is this feeling of pestering is the reason why I was not good as a copy machine salesman, right? You know, they write up the manual, and the idea is that you go, and you keep going until you get the answer you want. You just keep pestering people. Well, I didn't like that idea. I figured once I told people about my product, once I told them the benefits of their business, I figured if they wanted it, they would let me know. Now, obviously, that didn't work out, and they didn't let me know, and so that's why I'm here and not selling coffee machines. But, but I, I didn't like that feeling of, of having to pester someone into a decision. And so I think there's a sense where we feel that way as Christians, too, with God. We don't want to, to pester him. Now, we said last week that the reality is, is we live in this time as Christians between the, the already and the not yet of the kingdom, right? In a real sense, the kingdom is here. The Christ's benefits are here for us now. We experience them by the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives now. At the same time, we, we recognize that the kingdom is still to come. And so we, we find ourselves praying for those things that will come eventually. We pray for peace. We pray for no more pain. We pray that sin and death would no longer have the hold on us, the hold on our lives that it does right now. The truth is, is these things often still persist for us, right? We still struggle with sin. Death is still a reality for us. And as still yet, and though we know it, it is a reality, Christ ha has not returned. Again, I don't mean that to, to, to point doubt on that. It's a fact. But we pray it, and it hasn't happened yet. And so again, we, we begin to lose heart. We begin to feel like we are maybe even uh, that pestering salesman, uh, constantly checking in on God. And so we just, we just again, we, we tend to, to stop. We don't take those unanswered needs before God any longer. But the, the question, of course, is what has God said about this? Should we just continue to come over and over and over again? Yes, we may feel like we are being a pest, and certainly God does know our needs perfectly and thoroughly, uh, but does it ever reach a point where he says, all right, enough is enough. You have reached your quota on this particular need, and so I would just prefer if you stopped bringing it to me. Is there a sense where we can always bring those legitimate spiritual, scriptural needs to our Father? Well, in the parable before us today, Jesus gives us the answer to those questions. Uh, knowing the, the hardships, knowing the disappointments, knowing the, the doubts that his people will soon face after he has ascended to the Father, he wants to encourage them to do what they have seen him do, honestly, throughout his earthly ministry. He wants to encourage them to constantly and continually seek the will of his Father through prayer. He wants them to constantly 
and persistently bring their needs before his throne of grace. In short, what he wants them to do is pray without ceasing. And so let's look at this together. The first thing that I want you to see in this passage is an unjust judge and a persistent widow. An unjust judge and a persistent widow. Now imagine most of us at some point in our lives have met someone uh, whose personality, maybe whose disposition did not seem to fit the job that they had chosen in life at all. Maybe it was a teacher uh, who didn't seem to really like kids or maybe who didn't seem to like teaching. Maybe it was a doctor who didn't like caring for people, who didn't like helping people at all. Maybe it was a copy machine salesman who didn't like selling copy machines. Whatever it was, uh, their personalities just didn't fit what they were doing. That seems to be what we have here before us with this man in verse 2. You read it there. In a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. Now, often this judge is labeled the unjust judge. I want you to think about that for a second, because it's almost an oxymoron, right? When you think about the, the prerequisites to be a judge, when you think about what they are supposed to do, very difficult for them, if they're doing it well, to be unjust, right? They're supposed to rule with righteousness. They're supposed to, to seek the good, the welfare of other people. This man, he does neither of those things. Not only are they supposed to seek the welfare of other people, but they're supposed to do it as God's representatives in the world. You don't have to turn here, but if you go back to 2 Chronicles chapter 19, Jehoshaphat is reforming things. He's trying to get Israel back to where they're supposed to be, which is you know constantly the efforts up and down all the time. And he's, he implements these judges uh, in verses 4 uh, through 7. And I want to read verses 6 and 7 to you. It says, And he said to the judges, Consider what you do. For you judge not for man, but for the Lord. He is with you in giving judgment. Now then, let the fear of the Lord be upon you. Be careful what you do, for there is no injustice with the Lord our God, or partiality, or taking bribes. That's the requirement for the judge, right? If you turn over to to Romans chapter 13, you know these words well, but Paul, he says a similar thing. He's speaking to the people on how they are supposed to act with government, but notice what he says to us about judges. Notice what he says to us about those in authority. He says, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. But you have no fear for the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For, does not the, for he, the, he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Now, the, the point that I'm trying to make to you there is clearly... Those who are in authority, where do they receive that authority from? Who are they supposed to act on behalf of? God himself, right? All authority, all power comes from him. And so, the point is, is when Jesus says to us in this passage, this man neither respected God, nor he neither feared God, nor respected man, what he's telling us is this is a person who lives completely and only for himself. 
He does not do the, the first two great commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. He is only concerned with his own interest. And so it's not surprising that when this widow comes to him, when she comes seeking justice, as was her right under the law in Deuteronomy, it makes it clear that widows are supposed to be taken care of, that, that if they come seeking justice, that the judge is supposed to give it to her. So she is right to be there. She's right to ask this man. But knowing his disposition, knowing the, his personality traits, it's not surprising to find that when she comes, he refuses. He won't help her. He won't do what she asks. Now, I think it's safe to assume that normally in a situation like this, in that time, that probably would have been the end of the, the whole conversation, right? There was no appeals court. Uh, there was no higher authority that she could go to. And as a widow, she had no one to speak on her behalf, no one to come and say, hey, you're going to have to listen to what she says. No. I would think normally that would be the end of it. But I want you to notice that this particular lady, she must have been the precursor to all of you southern ladies that we now know. Because she doesn't take no for an answer, right? She is persistent. She keeps coming back. She won't go home. He refuses. But notice, she keeps coming back over and over and over again. She's what you might call a thorn in his side. She will not stop. Until finally, one day, what happens? He acts. He acts on her behalf. Now, I want you to notice here, we need to make this clear, that he's acting here out of his own personality. He's acting here out of the disposition that we've already seen that he has. He's not acting because it's the right thing to do. He's not acting because God has commanded him to do it. He's acting because he is tired of dealing with this woman. She will not leave him alone. And so now, finally, he says, okay, just to get you out of my hair, to be rid of you, I'm going to do what you ask. Like a good salesman, this woman is persistent. She's persistent to the point that this judge finally acts for her. And so we see an unjust judge and a persistent widow. Secondly, in this passage, I want you to notice a gracious God and his anxious elect. A gracious God and his anxious elect. Now the truth is, is if this parable was all we had here, uh, then trying to get to its meaning would be rather difficult. Uh, it would give us maybe some thoughts about God that are not true and that are not actually accurate. After all, we know that, that God is nothing like this unjust judge, at least morally. And we know that he doesn't just give us what we want simply because we wear him down. And so having worked through it, we, we recognize that we're in need of some help. And thankfully, both Luke and Jesus give us that help. I'm sure you noticed that I conveniently skipped over verse 1. But there, as is kind of uncommon, very few parables begin this way. Luke goes ahead and he gives us the point. He goes ahead and tells us what the parable is about. That way we don't have to wonder as we move through it. And so just read there with me. He says, and he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose hope. 
always should pray and not lose hope. Again, we've said this, but, but it's worth repeating. Jesus knows what's coming for his people, specifically the disciples here, but he also knows what's coming for you and I. He knows the challenges that, that they and we will face. He knows that, that we will feel tempted to, to doubt, to fear, be tempted to be discouraged as we move through this life. He knows how anxious our sinful hearts can be, and he knows how easily they, they just want to throw their hands up and say, you know what, I'm done with this. I, I can't keep going in this way. He knows that, that we, so often we really do want to give up. The world around us is constantly changing, often in unforeseen ways. Often we find ourselves changing in unforeseen ways. We deal with heartbreak, we deal with troubles, we deal with sin and injustice. We, we face disease, we face death. And again, left to our own devices, we eventually reach a point where we've had enough with it. We say, Lord, how do I go on from here? Why will you not answer? We lose heart. Notice, Christ doesn't want us to, to do that. He doesn't want that to be the case for us. In fact, he knows that it does not have to be the case for us. In applying this parable, what Jesus says, what he's making clear, is that through prayer, we can have access to the one who is far greater than any earthly judge, yet as we said in our children's sermon, who graciously and joyfully invites us to come into his presence as often as we need. We come before one who is able and willing to do far more than we could ever have imagined, and he freely, freely invites us in. Notice verses 6 and 7 here. As he applies it, he says, Hear what the unrighteous just says, and will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night, Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. In other words, if this unjust man eventually gave in to the widow's persistence, how much more will God Almighty hear and act when he hears the cry of his people? Jehovah, who neither slumbers nor sleeps. Yahweh, who is merciful and gracious. The King of kings who rules with righteousness and equity. The Father who delights to give good gifts to his children. The judge of heaven and earth who sees every wrong, who sees every act in this world, and who accounts for every single injustice, and who promises to redeem them all. That God is the God that we come before. And so if that's true, how will he not, with Jesus, freely give us all things? How will he not act for the good of his people? Surely he will. As Jesus says, he will not delay long, but speedily he will bring justice to us. Just as the unjust judge acted in a way consistent with his disposition. And friends, this is where the assurance comes, okay? So I want you to hear this. We said that this judge acted in a way that was consistent with the personality that he had shown, right? He didn't act in righteousness. He didn't act because he loved this woman. He acted because he was ready to be with, rid of her. 
He acted in his own best interest. Well, in the same way, we can be sure that God is going to act on our behalf because who has he revealed himself to be? Well, all of those things that we just said, right? And what do we know about God? He does not change. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so if he has always been this righteous judge, doing good for his people, then surely he is still that now. Surely he will act. So until he does, what are we commanded to do here? Well, like the widow, we persistently come back to our judge over and over and over again. We continually bring our case before him. Now notice, we do that not because he doesn't know. We do that not because he needs to be reminded of what we need. We don't do it in hopes that eventually we will wear him down. Now, as one commentator says, we do not persist in prayer because God does not listen. But we persist in prayer just because he does. That's good. That's it, right? We keep coming back because we have access to the king. We have access to his throne room. We pray knowing that it is he who is faithful to hear. We pray knowing that he is faithful to give us exactly what we need. But maybe more importantly than that, I think Jesus calls us to be persistent in prayer here because even if the answer he gives seems to be delayed, even if the answer he gives is a resounding no, the truth of the matter is that it is only in his presence that we can find the fullness of joy. It is only in his presence that we can truly find peace and comfort. And it is only in his presence that his word is applied to our hearts. Friends, again, prayer grants us access to that presence. It grants us access to his heavenly throne room. We come before him seeking his mercy and his help. And the simple fact is, no matter how he answers, we cannot leave that place the same. We cannot leave his presence unchanged. Consider the the examples in the Bible that we have of this. Whether it was Israel in the Old Testament before him, they cried out to him. Whether it was Moses before him and he comes back with his face shining because he'd been in the presence of God whether it was Isaiah, whether it was John, whether it was the disciple, whoever. Think about those experiences they had in the presence of God. They went in one way, and they came back out different than they were before, right? Well, friends, in, a, in the exact same way, maybe even a far greater way, we now have that same sort of access. We come before the maker of heaven and earth. And so while our prayers may not change him, though he does use them for his ends, it means that he uses somehow, they may not change him. They certainly, certainly change us. He is working in our lives. He is working in our hearts as we come into his presence. If nothing else, we're reminded there who it is that we come before. And we're reminded that he is always faithful. 
So as we pray persistently, as we pray over and over and over again for the same things, and look, I know it gets discouraging, and I know that oftentimes it feels like we're just talking to the ceiling. But, but what is the Christian faith? What do we always say it is? It's reconciling what we think and feel and see with what we know to be true. And what has God said? Over and over again, he says, come to me. I hear you. I will answer. So though we may get discouraged, the reality is, is we don't have to be. We have a God who can do all things. And so we see here an unjust judge and a persistent widow. And that leaves us with one final point, And I want you to see here thirdly and finally, living in the interim. Living in the interim. Uh, having taught us to pray persistently, Christ now ends uh, by inviting us to do a bit of self-examination. Uh, let's read verse 8 again together. At least the second half. He says, Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Now, in some sense, this question seems uh, very general and almost rhetorical, right? Right? The, the truth is, and the answer is, we know that Jesus will find faith on the earth when he returns, simply because we know that the Holy Spirit is faithful to complete the good work that he has begun in us, right? For those who, who are resting in Christ, maybe despite us, the Holy Spirit will bring that faith to a completion, okay? And so when Jesus asks this question, he knows the answer to it. He knows that, yes, when I return, there will be a people for me to return to. But I think that the question is really intended to be sort of more poignant than that. Maybe it's meant to be more personal than that. As Jesus is speaking to this group of people, what he's really asking is not so much, will I find faith generally on the earth, but will I find you with faith when I come back? Will there be faith in your heart when I come back? Will he find each of us praying and living as his people when he returns? I told someone last week before we left here, and I don't know if you remember our sermon last week. I hope that you do. Uh, but I, I told someone before we left that, that really where I should have left that sermon is where we are right now. But you know, God knows better than I do, and he knows what he's doing. And so he, he's given me another opportunity uh, to do it here. Last week we said that, that when we think about the end times, the question is not so much how will it happen or when will it happen or what's, going to, what, what's it going to be like. We know some of those things, but we don't know them as clearly as we would like. But really, God has given us the assurance that we need. He's given us the, the, the promise that Jesus is returning. And so we can rest in that. We can have hope in that. And so the question then becomes, simply, are you ready for Christ's return? But what I failed to say last week is that the question really has two dimensions to it. On the one hand, and this is what we said as we ended then, was that it forces us to ask that personal question. Am I resting in Christ, who is the only one who can make me ready? Am I resting in his finished work? And look, that's certainly the most important question to ask. But the other side of that question is what Jesus is asking us here. 
Not only can I say intellectually, yes, I'm resting in Jesus. Not only can I say intellectually, I believe. But as I look at my life, am I living like I am ready? Am I living as if I am fully resting and trusting in Christ? Now, it's amazing to think how all of the parables that we have gone through up until this point have pointed us in that direction. You think about the master and his servants. Yes, they needed to be intellectually, they needed to know that the master was coming back. But more than that, they just needed to be prepared, right? They needed to be found ready when he got there. Whether it's the parable of the ten virgins who are waiting on the groom, whether it was the fig tree who was not bearing fruit, whether it's the parable of the banquet that when the invitation came, when it was time to come in, they were no longer ready to come in whether it was just all of these passages about the cost of discipleship. We could go on and on, but the point is is that, yes, when Christ returns, he will be looking for those who are truly living in faith. And what is the evidence of that? It is a changed life. It is the fruit that we bear, right? Jesus says that over and over and over again. They will know you by your fruit, So, friends, again, the fact is, Jesus is coming back. You know, if one of you tells me at the back door, hey, I'm coming to your house for lunch today, then the the, the Ewings have a lot of work to do, right? We got to go home and we got to make preparations. I'm not going to go home and live as if you're not coming over to my house for lunch. I'm going to go home and live as if you are. And that means I'm going to do everything I need to do to be prepared when you get there. Well, friends, Jesus is coming as more certain, it's just as certain, more certain than you showing up at my house today for lunch. And so if that's true, why am I not living as if it's true? Why am I not living as if I need to make preparations for his coming? Why are our lives not, not consistent with that fact. Friends, the reality is, is yes, it is important to be able to say with our hearts, Lord, I am trusting in you. That is the most important thing. If we are resting in him, if we are bowing before him as king, that's the most important thing. But a necessary result of that is also that our lives will reflect that truth as well. And so as we end today, I'll ask you what I asked you last week. Are you ready... Is your life telling the tale of that question? Is the way you're dealing with other people, is the way you're dealing with your spouse, is the way that you're acting at work, is the way that you're living just generally in your life reflecting the reality, Jesus is coming back. It's here. He reminds us that at least part of our duty is to pray consistently. Pray persistently over and over and over again. When he comes back, will he find us doing that? And also that we are to live with hope. Hope. Maybe maybe that's the, the biggest marker of the Christian life. Think about this. In the world that we live in now, a world that is full of troubles and trials with so many people who are suffering, who are hurting, who have no hope. What would it be like if we all went out into the world We lived with the hope that Jesus gave us. 
that he has given us consistently that we know surely people would want that because that's what they're striving after whether they know it or not they are all trying to get some hope friends we have it and so we pray persistently we live with the sure hope that he has not losing heart may he give us the the faith to believe the faith to live for him and the faith to consistently and constantly seek his face as we pray together father we do ask now uh, that you would teach us to pray Uh, lord it's clear from your word that we are to be a praying people and so often that is far from the truth Uh, lord we get discouraged we we fail to bring our needs before you Uh, we are act as independently as we can because we want to be our own little gods, our own little commanders of our own little world. Uh, But Lord, we can't do this without you. That is clear. Uh, And so Lord, I pray that you would help us to to learn to pray over and over and over again for the things that that we need and the things that you have called us to pray for. Most of all, we pray that that your kingdom would come speedily into this world, that, that many would come to know you as their Savior. And Father, we pray that in that interim time, that our lives would be found to to be consistent with the the faith that we express, the faith that we confess. Uh, Lord, help us to live as you have called us to live. Mr. Ball, help us to live with the hope that you have given us. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.